Two Minutes and Beyond, the podcast where we review the Toy Story movies two minutes at a time. I'm Bianca Garcia, and this is Macy Ball. Hello. Hi. In this episode, we're talking about minutes 77 and 78 of Toy Story. We hit the end of the movie almost. I know. It's we're been, about to. Within it's the been next a long half time hour. coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh Although we've gosh. still got one episode after this. One more episode. That sounds just so credits. crazy. <laughs> it's just credits. But yeah, that sounds crazy that we only have one more episode after this one. Yeah. Well, should we get started? Let's do it. All righty. These two minutes start off with Andy's toys gathering around to hear Sarge reveal Andy and Molly's Christmas presents over the baby monitor. Woody is suddenly yanked backwards by Bo, and he yells and says, Oh, Bo, there's got to be a less painful way to get my attention. <laughs> Bo says, Merry Christmas, Sheriff, and points upward with her crook. He looks up and says, Say, isn't that mistletoe? And Bo responds, Mm-hmm, and pulls him down to kiss him. The camera moves up to reveal Bo's sheep standing on Andy's shelf and holding a twig of mistletoe. I wish I had Bo's confidence. <laughs> you know, that would be great. <laughs> but, like, every single time I've even just been, like, friendly and said hi to somebody, they always look at me weird. And I'm like, I'm not soliciting anything. I'm just being friendly saying hi. Like, do I give off a threatening aura or I don't know. Bo is definitely a woman who knows what she wants. <laughs> this is true. I feel like she's the the one in the relationship that wears the pants. Like Woody's literally not, in Toy Story Four. Literally in Toy Story Four. And I feel like Woody is like the yes dear kind of guy. <laughs> so he just listens to what she says. I feel like maybe we've talked about this before, but I feel like she probably made the first move. She probably did. I, you know what? I 100% agree with that. She did because Woody's too, you know, like floppy and squiggly <laughs> and makes that crazy little noise he does. And he's, if he had sweat glands, he'd be sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I, I, I don't remember if we, if we talked about this or not, but both sheep. Really, like, they needed that upgrade that they got in Toy Story 4. They did. They look very, like, not bad. Because, you know, like, they still look like sheep. But they look plain. Honestly. They just look weird. They look weird. And to <laughs> and me, not they look like. because they're a three-headed sheep. It's just because <laughs> of the, the model just looks weird. I think to me the most they look like stress balls, like the little character stress <laughs> balls that the doctor's office gives you. <laughs> they should make that. They, they should make should. both sheep stress balls. I would buy one. That sounds great. I have a little llama that kind of has like the poofiness of the sheep and it kind of reminds me of it. But of course, it's not as round. Mm -hmm. But I think if they were to make something like that, I would definitely buy it. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, I looked up the history of why uh, kissing under the mistletoe at Christmas is a thing. <laughs> I found this Time Magazine article 
And so it's not, from what this article says at least, Mm -hmm. it's not really understood why um, it started, but there is kind of a general idea of like when and where it started. Mm -hmm. They they think that the why might trace back to this Norse myth about, I I don't even know, about this (laughs) god Baldur, and I guess his mother cast some kind of magical spell. It it, it doesn't matter. It it has to do with um, mistletoe. And but it doesn't ha- really have anything to do with kissing, so it's unclear what uh how the tradition would have come out of that. I think it's just guys just trying to get to kiss girls. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, there's a piece of leaf. Well, let me just grab this girl and kiss her." And it's like that's the weirdest thing on earth. Like you could be under a tree, and the guy's like, "Hey, there's a leaf." You know, like. <laughs> It's just so weird. Yeah, well, okay, so I'm reading a little bit more that I forgot. And apparently in some versions of the story, the character Frigg declares the mistletoe to be a symbol of love after her son dies and, like, promises to kiss anyone who passed underneath it. But that's not um, how the story is always told and it's not thought to be like the accurate version of the story. So it's still not clear where that actually came from. Um, and it also has nothing to do with Christmas. It really has nothing to do with <laughs> so, Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So this article says that kissing under the mistletoe wouldn't have existed as a popular tradition before 1720 because the most extensive research about the plant was published that year, and it did not reference the practice uh, the historian in this article is talking about. Says John Coltbatch, an English apothecary and physician, wrote two books on the mistletoe in 1719 and 1720, and he had a, apparently he had a whole section on like superstitions and customs associated with mistletoe, but he doesn't mention anything about kissing under the mistletoe at Christmas. And the earliest reference that has been found to kissing under the mistletoe was from a song published in 1784, where one of the verses says, What all the men, Jem, John, and Joe, cry, What good luck has sent ye, and kiss beneath the mistletoe, the girl not turned of 20. So that's a little creepy. I I feel like <laughs> it, there's no significant thing. Like there's no real reason to kiss under the mistletoe. <laughs> it's just people are like, I'm just gonna kiss a girl that's not even twenty. She's a minor. <laughs> I'm gonna kiss her. <laughs> but it's still unclear, like what happened between 1720 and and that song in 1784 that made kissing under the mistletoe. Like, a thing that happened at Christmas, um, apparently in Charles Dickens' book, The Pipwick Papers, which I, f- I feel like I read in, in high school or at some point, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, he's, he talks about the girls s- screaming. It says, 
uh, he it says that he writes that younger ladies screamed and struggled and ran into corners and threatened and remonstrated and did everything but leave the room until some of the less adventurous gentlemen were on the point of desisting when they all at once found it useless to resist any longer and submitted to be kissed with a good grace. That's that sounds, from that's from the pig book papers. That sounds horrendous. <laughs> I know. It, it, it's it's uh it's so far at this point all the all the references are just portrayed as all the references to this tradition at in literature and things at the time are portrayed where it's like women being basically coerced into kissing under the mistletoe yes exactly and i feel like it's so outdated that people just do it because they're like oh you know tradition it it says that historians have said that they would have believed that they had to accept kisses from men or risk bad fortune (laughs) but it also says exactly how serious their resistance was it's hard to say based on evidence but they said that there were also several stories from around that time that showed women like using using the mistletoe excuse to elude possessive husbands and parents who might have otherwise possessed or prevented on such kisses (laughs) so there were some women using it to their advantage this is true some women do like to use things like that to their advantage i on the other hand bo does (laughs) bo does for sure you know what bo peep you can keep doing that i'm gonna be the one running away (laughs) until they catch me (laughs) that's so interesting though because like i never look stuff like this up i never Mm -hmm. look up why you know people do i've just always been turned off by that fact like i don't want to be kissed by a stranger (laughs) yeah and apparently apparently the tradition uh started in america because of washington irving's book the sketchbook which was published in 1820 because it talks about kissing uh kissing under the mistletoe, I guess. Oh, okay. Good old America starting crazy traditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't have any any problem with it as long as no one's forcing other people to kiss and yeah, all of like, the all of the people involved are are okay with it. Yeah, if it's like a couple, this movie. <laughs> exactly. Like if it's a couple, like I don't mind it because they're both consenting and in love. But if it's a stranger, like all these historical pieces that you just read <laughs> just sounds a little like, oh, that's not nice. <laughs> or like other, it, it 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 seems like the kind of thing too that like someone like your friend might do to tease you about your crush or something like that too. Right? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I'd be like, no, I'm just leaving the party. <laughs> I just came here for the punch. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I wonder if there's any other countries that, like, followed this. Like, if there's any other, like, I'm pretty other sure. Than, other than the UK? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, in like, US. in Europe and the UK and everything, like, they do it. But, like, if there's, like, other countries, like, I highly doubt people who don't celebrate Christmas would be doing well, something yeah, like that, obviously. <laughs> 
But, you know, like there are some people that are like, oh, let's, you know, take a look at this holiday to see what it's all about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like if they are just like, oh, that's an interesting tradition and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, you can have it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving on. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, now I'm looking at the notes. I'm like, we should probably move on. (laughs) So moving on. At the 16-second mark, Rex says, maybe Andy will get another dinosaur, like a leaf eater. That way I could play the uh, dominant predator. Rex and Slinky laugh, and Buzz tells everyone to be quiet. Through the baby monitor, Sarge says, Molly's first present is Mrs. Potato Head. Repeat a Mrs. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head looks shocked, and Ham says, way to go, Idaho. Mr. Potato Head <laughs> says, gee, I better shave, and pulls his mustache off and throws it to the side. I've always loved that, where he's like, way to go, Idaho. <laughs> yes, and it just the, vi- the visual joke of, he's like, oh, I gotta shave, and he, and he just, just pulls like- his mustache off. <laughs> And throws it to the side. That's my favorite. I think that's one of my most favorite scenes uh, of the end part. Like, just him tossing his mustache away. <laughs> yes. It, it it makes me wonder, though. So, like, does Mrs. Potato Head just come out of the box and immediately, like, they're already married? Like, she's just met this guy for the first time? Exactly. Like, I thought about that, too. Like, what if... <laughs> At the beginning, when she came out of the box, she did not like Mr. Potato <laughs> Like, how did they get together? Like, I guess it's maybe just, like, toy I mean, logic where they are already in love. <laughs> like, Barbie and Ken. Yes. I don't know. Like, they're I, like they're made to be a couple. But, like, then if, if she met another Mr. Potato Head, would they be in love? <laughs> Exactly. Would it be a love triangle where they're like, oh, but there's two and I love them both. And it just turns into like a a drama between like, potato. Do, do they have to be with the toy that they're supposed to be with? Or can could they uh, be in a relationship with someone else? See, that's an interesting thought. Like, just because they're Mr. and Mrs. doesn't necessarily mean that they're together. So maybe, like, what if there's a Mrs. <laughs> Potato Head married to a combat car? <laughs> I don't know. I am really excited to see Mrs. Potato Head when we get to Toy Story 2, though. Oh, I love Mrs. Potato Head. She's one of my most favorite characters. She's just so, like, I love her. She's hilarious. And she, she has is. some of the best bloopers from the blooper reel for that movie. Yes, I love those. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait till we talk about those. <laughs> And the monkey chow. (laughs) For the monkeys, of course. (laughs) That's my favorite. She's just putting all this stuff in him. I'm like, oh my gosh, how is it fitting in him? (laughs) He's he's a TARDIS. He's bigger on the inside. You know what? Yes. Mr. Potato Head confirmed is a TARDIS. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Also, when... (laughs) In the in the background, after after Sarge, uh, after Sarge announces Mr. Potato Head and, and Potato Head or Mrs. Potato Head and Mr. Potato Head is looking all shocked. Mr. Spell is in the background, and his screen just says "hubba hubba." 
Oh my gosh, yes. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's cute. That's like, I just love that Pixar adds like silly little things like that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something really wholesome that I love about uh, Rex's little joke. Yes, I love like, Rex so much when he says that, when he's going to be the dominant predator. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's funny, too, because Rex, I mean, he's a funny character, but he's not. It's because of, like, the things he says, and, and that's, like, he's not making, like, cracking jokes all the time. Exactly. He's not one of the funny guys in that, like, he's cracking jokes. He's one of the funny guys in that he's just sheepish, and he's not what he's like stereotyped as as like a vicious dinosaur he's completely Mm -hmm. the opposite (laughs) so like in this in this scene when he actually like makes a joke and he's like he's he's clearly like so pleased with himself about it like (laughs) it's so funny yes like he executed the perfect joke (laughs) yeah and then slinky's reaction is so cute the way he laughs and he likes uh, he like stomps his foot on the yes. ground. Oh my gosh, I love Slinky. I oh my gosh, all the toys are so cute. I know. I feel like we say that in every single episode. They just are. You know what, you guys? If y'all listening are tired of us saying that, then this is not the podcast for you because we really <laughs> love these characters. I mean, surprise! Two girls doing a Toy Story podcast love. The Toy Story characters. Exactly. I'm like, if you wanted something else, I'm sorry. This is just us gushing about one of our favorite movies. <laughs> yes. One of the things that I love about this scene is that in any, well, not any other movie, but a lot of other movies, they would have gone like out of their way to explain or have some character talk about like, oh, things are so much better now than they were like a few when everything happened before and like now we're all happy and everything, but like right. they don't do that. They do it. They show these really like subtle things like Buzz is up there sitting on the bed up in Woody's spot that he was so protective of before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas before they were all freaking out about Andy's birthday and being replaced by new toys. Now they're all like excited. Right, and Rex, even yeah. before, um, he says, he, like, before, he's like, what if I get replaced by another dinosaur? Another, a mean one. I just don't think I could take that kind of rejection. And then here, he's like, he's excited about it. He's yeah. like, he's like, maybe Andy will get another dinosaur. <laughs> right. I know. I like that, too, because in the beginning, they're all set in their ways. They're all like, okay, you know, we can't get another toy because that means somebody else is going to leave. But after going through, you know, like Woody almost getting quote unquote replaced. And now that they see that everything's okay, that nobody got replaced, they're working together, they're friends now. They're like, okay, this is not that big of a deal since the most important toy here is friends with the new toy. Mm-hmm. So it, I guess it like changed their perspective in that they don't see it as like a fearful thing anymore so now they're more relaxed about it and now they can even be excited about it like hey a new friend Mm -hmm. and and i like that they're not 
they they don't hit you over the top of the head with it. They're just like right. They're not like and the moral of the story, children. <laughs> like it's not that. It's very subtle, but you do notice it. Yeah, they don't have to explain it. They just show it. Right, and I, I always kind of get annoyed when shows do that. Like even not so much like adult shows, but like shows for older audiences. Like sometimes they still mm-hmm. do that, and I'm like. This isn't preschool. <laughs> we know what's happening. Yeah. But even just the fact that Buzz is sitting up on Andy's bed is such a such a subtle thing. And yet earlier, you know, earlier in the movie, Andy puts the Buzz he Andy puts Buzz on top of the bed and Woody is so bothered about it. Mm-hmm. But here but here he's sitting up there and, you know. He allows it's not him a problem. To, yeah, yeah, he's it's learned not to just, accept him. Exactly. It's not specifically his spot anymore, but it's, you know, it's both of their spot or whoever else wants to sit up there. Yeah, and Andy's now got, um, he's got, instead of just like the cowboy or just the, the Buzz Lightyear bedding, he's got, I'm trying to find it. It, it's the it, he's got like the bedding the buzz light you're bedding with the the cowboy bedding kind of folded on the end and then mm-hmm. uh the cowboy pillow well he's got a cowboy pillowcase and a and a buzz pillowcase and the mixture of the different posters and and drawings as well too right and i like that too it's like it's not right in your face it's subtle but when you do see it you're like oh that's cute i like that mm-hmm. should we move on i think so okay <laughs> at the 35 second mark woody jumps onto the bed buzz sees that woody has lipstick marks all over his face and gives him a knowing look sarge's voice comes through the baby monitor saying come in frankincense annie andy <laughs> annie who is annie <laughs> <laughs> Andy is now opening his first present. He starts to cut out and Buzz impatiently hits the baby monitor a few times to try to get it to work. Woody says, Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, you're not worried, are you? Buzz responds, me? No, 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 no. Buzz looks nervously at the baby monitor and asks, are you? Woody answers, now Buzz, what could Andy possibly get that is worse than you? We then hear Andy saying, Oh, what is it? What is it? There's a barking sound, and Andy exclaims, Wow, a puppy! The movie ends with Woody and Buzz looking at each other, first in surprise, and then with a worried smile, before it cuts to black, and a duet version of You Got a Friend in Me plays over the end credits. The end! Yay, the movie! <laughs> I mean, we still got credits left, We still but... have credits. <laughs> I love that ending. It's a fun ending because it's like now they're friends and everything's okay. And now there's the chaos of a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I love getting to see that type of interaction between Woody and Buzz, which and the rest of the movie, the rest of the movies, uh, the thing that frustrates me is they, in this first movie, they, created basically one of the greatest character friendships in 
like animated film history. And then the rest of the movies, they're split up most of the time. I know. That so makes we me never mad. see these kind of <laughs> these kind of moments between them very often. Right. Yeah. Or they're just I, like being friends. <laughs> I feel like there could have been a whole lot more of that, which would have been great. But I think also the reason why they did it was because if they were working together, they would have solved the problem quicker. I don't know. Maybe. You mean in the in the later movies? In the later movies. Well, also, Woody was kidnapped. So. He was, so he couldn't have done anything about that. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, technically, I guess they're still together for most of Toy Story 4, but because Buzz goes after Woody, but they are doing separate things still. Right. It's not like they are together for too long of a period because they do get separated and they meet up but then they separate again yeah they meet up on on the roof of the antique shop yes so i don't know i guess it's a little bit more of them being together but not as much well that's why i enjoy um toy story that time forgot (laughs) yes i love that one because they're working together you don't even see that much of them in it. Yeah. I guess. Well. It's not too terribly much, but when we do see them, they're actually together. Like. They're like cracking jokes yes, to each other. It's great. I'm like, I love that. I want to see more of that. They, they really deprived us of that. And I'm a little frustrated about that. I'm a little offended about that. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> eh, what can you do? Go work at Pixar. <laughs> They'd have to go back and um, if if we wanted to have more of that kind of thing, they'd have to go back and do something that takes place pre-Toy Story 4. That's true, because now that they've... Or I guess they could meet up again after after Woody has left them all at, at the... At the end of Toy Story 4. He completely know. abandons them and tells them, bye, losers, because <laughs> that's how it ends. <laughs> Spoiler alert. They they could have a short where, like, Woody and Bo come visit them at, at Bonnie's house that while the carnival's in town or something. I would love that. See, we need to have content like that. And they have a <laughs> day together. to hire us. They really do. You know what? I... I'm willing to go fly over there and live at the Pixar headquarters. I don't need a house. Live I'm just going to live. The yes. Headquarters. <laughs> just put a little bed under my desk. You can ask Pete Doctor all of our questions. Yes. I'm going to ask him all of our questions. It's going to be a long list. Yes. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure he would kick me out. He's like, you can't work here. <laughs> we... Uh, we need to we need to be hired by Pixar so we can make the the Mr. Spell and um see and say buddy movie. <laughs> yes, you know what? I would watch that. I would create that. <laughs> or the um the robot and snake buddy movie. We need that too. You know what? All four of them together. They're gonna go on an adventure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's gonna be four hours long, you guys. An hour for each character. <laughs> oh gosh we're gonna get fired so fast (laughs) after the storyboard they're like get out of here if we even make it that far if we make it that far i'm pretty sure during the uh what do you call it the probation 
interview or the interview too probably i'd get kicked out of there they're like we'll call you back actually no we won't we're not gonna lie to you <laughs> oh my you'd gosh. have more of a chance of getting hired than i would because you can actually you're actually an artist so <laughs> that only goes so far though they're like can you storyboard can you shade can you do this can you do this? <laughs> i'm like i know how to draw stick figure oh <laughs> uh, you're selling yourself short I mean, just, you made, you made our logo. Oh, I did. I did make the logo. So that is, I can show them that. I'm like, this is the best I can do, you guys. And they'll be like, you ripped off our... our I sure did, logo. but I, I traced it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I like the camera fake out. Of like you, It feels like that it's pulling back and there's going to be like this nice scene of like the snow outside and everything. And then... And he's like, oh, wow, a puppy. And it zooms, it zooms back, back in. in. <laughs> I do like that, too. Just to see their concerned face. I think that's part of why that moment is so funny. Yeah. It's because of that sudden, like, zoom in. That was, yeah. That's a fun ending. I like the way they ended it. Mm-hmm. Everything feels like it just fits perfectly from the beginning to the end. It just works. Everything flows. Except for all the flaws that we found. Yeah, except for those. (laughs) So, according to the audio commentary, it was story artist Jill Colton who had the idea, like, she just suggested in passing that Andy should get a puppy. I don't know if they, like, didn't have, if they just didn't have anything planned for that, or or if they were, um, if they weren't going to, mention what Andy got at all or if they were trying to think of something and she's like oh he should get a a puppy you know yeah because I'm thinking about that like it probably was originally going to end with just Woody saying to Buzz what could be worse than you maybe and they probably just added that at the very end well either that or they I I don't I I should have written down if they had if if they were going to have like if they were going to say what Andy got for a present or if it was going to be like you said but it just seemed I I like that they have Andy get a dog just because mm-hmm. of the the whole ordeal they've been through with Scud this whole time I know and it's funny because animals especially puppies do chew on toys if you leave them on the floor. I don't know if I've said this before. I think I have. But I would have Barbies on the floor and our dogs when they were little. If they weren't chewing on our potatoes, they were chewing on my Barbies' hands and feet. So I had a bunch of Barbies with just like the grossest, most <laughs> chewed up. They didn't even look like hands anymore. It was horrible. I'm like, my poor Barbie. <laughs> well, in Toy Story 2, they show that Woody has Buster trained better than Andy does because he has that, he does that like stick him up thing. That's true. And what he, he does it for Woody, but he doesn't do it for Andy. So that yeah. makes me think that they were immediately like, okay, we got to start training. The toys were like, we got to start training this dog right away so that they don't, so that he doesn't start chewing on us. That's true. Yeah. I feel like that probably happened because. Nobody wants to get chewed on. No. <laughs> Even if toys 
do may or may not feel pain. They still don't want to get chewed on. They just don't want to be mutilated. They're like, I don't want no. a gross slobbery hand that doesn't look like a hand anymore. <laughs> but I mean, I'm glad that they trained them. That's kudos to them. <laughs> so this the duet version of You've Got a Friend in Me, a lot of times. When it starts, I it throws me off because I'm not used. Like when he, when uh, Lyle Lovett starts singing, yeah, because I like I'm so used to just Randy's version, and I forget that it's a different version at the end of the movie. Right? No, I noticed it's that not, too, and it yeah. threw me off the first time. I was like, "That's not Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this other guy?" Exactly. But then I remember, like, oh, it's a duet. Yeah. Because uh, I like I don't listen to that version like right. on the soundtrack. Like I, I like there's nothing wrong with it. It just that that's not. I just prefer to listen to the Randy Newman the version at the top of the movie. Yeah, you know I never paid attention because I think I have both of them on my Spotify, mm-hmm. and I've never paid attention to which one plays more. I think the duet plays more. Now that I think about it. I, f- I feel like the only times I've listened to the duet version, like, outside of just watching the movie, has been, like, listening to the soundtrack all the way through. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably not the one, like, if I'm just going to listen to the song, I'm going to listen to uh, right. Randy's version. Yeah, and that's probably the popular opinion of everybody because that's the first one that you hear and it's also the one that gets used in three and four yeah so so probably i feel like that one's more played than the end one with the duet so yeah yeah i can see that it is appropriate that it's a duet though Mm because like at the beginning when we hear the song it's like supposed to represent Woody and Andy, but it's like Woody's Woody's perspective about Andy. Right. But at the end, because he well, because he he can't, you know, talk to Andy and Andy like, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so so it's just it's just from his perspective. Right. And and then at the end, it's it's it represents Woody and Buzz's friendship. So it's the two of them. Yeah, and I do like that dynamic that they added to it just to represent that. Um, I feel like it really just, like, ties the movie together. Yeah. It's a nice bookend. It is. It's a very nice bookend. I like it. Well, we've come to the end of the we've actual movie. We've come to the end, and it was it finished right at 1 minute 10 seconds because that's when the credits begin. Yes, should we explain how we're going to talk about the credits? I think we should, because we do have that one last episode, and it is about the credits. It's the Our next episode is all credits. So, we're not going to go through every name. No, that would uh, take obviously, forever. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously all, the, all, all these people in the credits worked really hard, and um, they... And we appreciate their hard work on this movie, but we just can't. It it would take forever if we tried to talk about every single person. Right. It would take way too <laughs> long, and 
to get every single person's information. Like if there's someone out there that doesn't have like a lot of their information out there, we would just have to skip over them because there wouldn't be much to talk about, you know, like, yeah, there's probably a lot like that, especially like in the first movie. Well, I guess I can ask this later. So I'll just ask it later. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) what we're going to do is we're just going to, we, we've gone through and picked out some names that stood out to us for one reason or another and uh, excluding people that we've already talked about, like, Mm -hmm. you know, John Lasseter, Andrew Staten, all those guys, basically anyone in the, in the opening credits and all of the, all of the main voice actors. Right. Because we've already spent quite a bit of time talking about them. Yeah. So the first person the first one I, I have written down here is film editor Lee Unkrich. Good old Lee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was Lee Unkrich, joined Pixar in 1994. Most of his Pixar credits are as some form of editor, including the movie Coco, which he also directed. I love that movie, but I can't watch it without crying. Like, even thinking about that movie, I cry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty impressive. He, bo- he, he both edited and directed that movie. That's really good. good he, was on, he was on Pixar's senior creative team, also known as the Brain Trust, for several years. He co-directed Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., and Finding Nemo. He directed Toy Story 3, Coco, Mm -hmm. and the Coco short Dante's Lunch. And he actually left Pixar in 2019 to spend more time with his family and pursue other interests. Oh, okay. Good for him. (laughs) That he knew when he wanted to stop to be able to spend time with his family. But also, you know, like, I always feel like it's, a good thing like for us we're like oh that's sad that he left because he's so creative but you know when you know when it's time to go that you actually leave and you're not like you leave in good standing mm-hmm. and he's also a very important pixar or a very important person not just for pixar in general but for to the toy story franchise mm-hmm. of, uh editing this movie co-directing Toy Story 2, and then, of course, directing Toy Story 3. Right. And I feel like a lot of that, like, I don't want to get controversial controversial, or, you know, just start stating opinions. (laughs) (laughs) But I really do think that that's probably why Toy Story 4 didn't do as good. Because... He didn't... Well, he was involved with that movie. It happened... But he wasn't directing it. N- no. Yeah. What What did he do on Toy Story 4? I didn't write that down. Because that was still being made before he left. Right. But what I was trying to get at, like, he co-directed Toy Story 2, and then Toy Story 3 he actually directed, and I don't think he... He, he was the... He was one of the executive producers, and he's also listed as an additional editor. Okay. So then, 
It's just everybody's opinion that Toy Story 4 didn't do good. Well, no, it did. It did well it at the did box office. Well. Like, it was one of the highest gr- grossing animated films of all time, wasn't it? Yes, but what I'm getting at is, like, the fandom. Oh, yeah. You mean, like, the the public's reaction to the it. The public's reaction to it. Everybody, and I was thinking, like, because I didn't look up Leon Gridge's stuff. But I was like, if he didn't actually play a big part in it, that's probably why, because, you know, you don't have one of the the main pillars of Pixar. But if he was on it, then I was like, oh, that's just people's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next person I wanted to talk about was that I felt like I had to talk about is <laughs> sound designer Gary Rydstrom. I love Gary. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you for giving us all of these crazy sounds and just making Woody sound like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if he was directly responsible for that that shaking sound, but rattling I'm sure sound he, he makes. He green. Or if it was someone something. else on, on the on the sound team, but <laughs> He did something, and it, it I mean, went through to the movie. So thank you, Gary. And we've we've talked over and over again about how great the sound design in this movie is. Yes, I really do think that even twenty five, thirty five, and even forty five years later, everybody's going to be like, "I really like the sounds in this movie." <laughs> well, right now I'm like, I really like the sounds in yes, this movie. It's just. They're good sounds. They're and very it, 90s sounds. And and like we've said before, it's got its own like audio or yeah, audio identity that's different from that's different from the rest of the series. Exactly. It's kind of like Which I love. It's quirky. Yeah. I really like it. But anyway, <laughs> talking about Gary Rydstrom, his he he's got like tons and tons of credits on on IMDb. His his credits go all the way back to Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, where he started as an audio technician to like the Terminator to Jurassic Park. Oh, very nice. Star Wars episodes one and two, and um, I think episode seven as well. Or not? Yeah, seven. That's the Force Awakens, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and. Like I, the most recent thing being Jurassic World Dominion. Okay. Um, yeah, his Pixar sound design credits include, of course, Toy Story and A Bug's Life, Toy Story Two, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo, and Brave. Oh. Yes, he and he actually also directed the Pixar short Lifted, the one that was oh, okay. in front of Ratatouille about mm-hmm. the aliens. I did like that one. That one was cute. Yeah. And he also directed the Toy Story short Hawaiian Vacation. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I like I that. I didn't know that till today. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's a fun little tidbit. Yeah, he was also the director of the canceled Pixar film Newt, which I don't know if you if you ever heard about that. I did hear about that. And did they ever I don't think they're gonna do it anymore, right? Like no, it was canceled like it was canceled completely. Yeah. It it was it was about a male and female newt that were forced together to keep their species from going extinct even though they hated each other. 
Mm-hmm. And it was initially supposed to be released in 2011, and then it was pushed back to 2012, and then it was canceled. I, I, I don't fully remember the circumstances behind that, but it might have had something to do with just like the the story wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of note to me, and I know a few of our listeners and past guests as well. Is he was the supervising sound editor and the re-recording mix mixer for Muppet Vision 3D, Ooh. the Muppet attraction at at Disney World and formerly Disneyland. You know that was a really fun. I don't mean to derail, but that was a really <laughs> fun show. <laughs> it was. I like it. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Should we talk about Bud Lucky? Yes, we should. Yes. I love Bud Lucky. <laughs> he was the story artist, animator, and then it's not shown in this. It's not shown until the the next clip, but it's listed later as the, the character designer. He joined Pixar in 1992. He, he was their fifth animator that they hired. Okay. He worked on most of the Pixar films up to Ratatouille, except for Finding Nemo. He played Rick Dicker and The Incredibles. Uh, and he played Chuckles in Toy Story 3. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he played Eeyore in the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that either. I love his performances. I as do Chuckles. too. Honestly, he does do pretty good. He's a fun guy. Mm-hmm. He was the director, writer, like the narrator, composer, and like production designer for the the short Bounden, which is oh, one of my okay. favorite Pixar shorts. That's I used to watch my... that one over and over again. Yes, that one's one of my favorites too. I that song pops into my head every once in a while. <laughs> I'm singing Bound, Bound, Bounden, Bound, however it goes. <laughs> That one's really cute. I do like that one. That one's just, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's super cute. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s, he actually created 14 different animated shorts for Sesame Street. Oh. Including probably the most well-known ones would be The Alligator King. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, and The Ladybug's Picnic. Oh, I remember that one, too. Yes. Anytime I have to cute. count to 12. I sing that in my head every <laughs> single time. <laughs> it's to the point where it just automatically happens when I see the number 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's same. funny because every single time I like tell somebody about that, like if I just randomly share it, they're like, I do that too. <laughs> It's it's either that or the pinball number count. Oh, I liked that one too. Which also counts to 12? Yes, I liked that one. I liked the one where um I like how we're derailing to Sesame Street now. <laughs> um it was stop animation, but it was the numbers that would come out of like playground stuff. Oh, I don't remember that one. That one was fun. It was just all stop animation, but it was big numbers that would come out of like a slide or like go down a slide. Was, was that Bud Lucky or was that 
just a different animated. I think that was just a different one because okay, it wasn't okay. animated. It was just stop animation, but that reminded me of that. Uh, and I always think of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> just totally degrading. So, but um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2018 from a long illness. It, 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 I wasn't able to find out what what he passed away from every every uh like obituary just said that he had a long illness that he had been dealing with for a while and the mm. the incredibles 2 was dedicated to him okay yeah that i knew he had passed away but i never knew what he passed away from it's probably the family just keeping that like you know they don't need to share that with anybody you know so mm-hmm. that's probably yeah. they didn't want to just disclose all of his information so yeah well that's all i have about bud lucky um (laughs) the last interesting thing i wanted to uh and the last person i wanted to talk about in the credits was at the at the very end of this clip we see a credit for animator ken willard and it says from 1959 to 1995 and i i i looked him up and apparently he passed away uh, in September of 1995, so like only a couple months before this movie came out. Okay. But he was he was an animator on Gumby Adventures, the show, and then Gumby the movie. And he also worked on The Night Before Christmas, oh. and he worked on the the video game Clay Fighter, which I only mentioned because <laughs> I was looking it up right before we started this, and I was like, "Have you ever heard of this game?" And we were both looking at it, and it's very like. The animation is good, but it's like these clay stop motion figures like that are fighting each other. It's incredibly nineties. Please look it up because it's just one of those things that you look at it and you so it's, it's kind bizarre. of disturbing to be honest. <laughs> it sure anyway, is a video game. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to mention him because I, I looked him up because I because it had the the dates ne- next to his name, mm-hmm. so. But that's all. I, that's all I have for this clip and for this part of the credits. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, as far as the movie, I think we covered everything that I could have possibly said. And as far as the credits, I just did not have time. I apologize. I did not have time <laughs> to look up any of the names. So I think we're good. Okay. Yeah. So let me go ahead and just close this out for this episode. Just just to be clear, this is not the last episode of this movie. We've still got one more to go. Uh, next week, we're just going to be talking about more credits and explaining what's next to come for the podcast after we finish this movie. So, So stay tuned for that. It's exciting. Yay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to follow our Facebook and Twitter accounts and send us an email if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time. Bye. Bye.